This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. On this Monday, November 14th, we say hello from our Real Talk studio in beautiful downtown Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Ryan Jesperson, John Hicks with you. Hey there. How was your weekend, pal? It was pretty good. Yours? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, did a little, uh, did, did some on-ice coaching. I'm the, I'm the assistant I know, I... coach for the little guy's hockey team. But, and you're uh, all in. All in, man. It's very exciting. He absolutely loves it, and he's got a great crew there. Yeah. And so we had some fun a couple of days of that. And, and uh, But it's a practice in a game every weekend Practice in a game every weekend. Yeah. Although this weekend just two practices oh that's so it the, so the kids are a little ornery at seven years old they're wondering why don't we get a game and so we integrated some some uh you know some play into the practice it's not sure. too serious at this point but you, you already start to see some of the the budding stars right yeah and, and then you also have the kids that just kind of skate around and look and around that's okay and too it's, it's fabulous yeah. as well it's great yeah. Everybody's having a good time, and then had uh, had my mother-in-law in town visiting from oh, Saskatchewan, nice. which was great. She was uh, she, I mean, has just done so much for us. With you know, there's an infant in the house and everything, of course. And so some some projects and things can get backlogged, and so she was there to help us out with that. She was one of the thousands of people. That uh, that well, quite frankly, got screwed over by the WestJet snafu last oh, week. Oh, really? You remember this? Like yeah. with the, the, their catastrophic failure of their software, whatever it was, mm-hmm. uh, with a whole bunch of flights canceled and, and people being shuffled around and things like that. And so she ended up, long story short, uh, taking a bus to, to to get to us. Uh, from Saskatchewan to Alberta, and then wow. she'll be flying back home today. But that's because my father-in-law, her intrepid partner, spent literally hours on the phone, and I was sitting there wondering. I mean, they're they're very um, they're they're sort of like give the benefit of the doubt type people. Okay, they're always like, well, yeah, I mean, it it was inconvenient, but it was probably worse for other people. I think I'm the same way. Like, you are the same well, way because I'm. Like I developed, I told you this kind of uh, not a fear of flying, but just a little more anxious. When I was a, like eighteen to twenty five, I could you know, I could d- drink a tea and fall asleep for the four hour flight to Toronto, and now yeah. I'm like, did something? Whatever happen, they need or? to do, however long it takes, I don't care. Yeah, like just make sure the plane's up to snuff. But I also saw another flight uh, in the states uh, down to Jamaica that got uh, got. Um, like put on hold for a while and people I think it was coming back from Jamaica uh-huh. and people were sweating and it was an hour and a half and some people were passing out and vomiting what on the flight yeah because it was so hot inside and then they decided to just cancel the flight because people were just so really yeah everybody's talking about this Dallas disaster oh, absolutely gosh. horrible I wasn't I, I was like I mean here we are talking about it. I was like I don't know if we're gonna talk about this on the show we can talk about it made the executive decision not to show the video no um, the video is all over the internet you can see it several it's, it's, videos uh, very scary I mean from all different vantage points because these are people uh, filming on their phones mm-hmm. this, these are just members of the general public that are attending this air show in Dallas um, the reason I'm not showing it is is just because it's been confirmed that there were six fatalities as a result six yeah. people lost their lives and I have mixed feelings well I don't have mixed feelings I have pretty strong feelings about showing videos where people die mm-hmm. I, I just I just don't know that but I digress that's not the main point um, just a horrific tragedy vintage World War II aircraft if people haven't heard the story a B-17 it's called a flying fortress bomber yeah hit like sort of almost 
T-ball in a way, like a a, a plane called a P sixty three, smaller a, plane, a King Cobra fighter plane. Yeah, World War Two era fighter plane uh, with a single pilot in it. Uh, it's it's estimated at this point, investigators believe that, that there were five people on board the B seventeen. But but in a mid air collision, and people are you know investigators trying to make sense of how this would happen. There, I've, I've been doing some reading. I don't know anything about aviation. Me but either. I've been, doing, I've been doing some reading, and they're saying that there was. There was uh, a maneuver that would have been sort of essentially prohibited yeah. in in uh, air shows and in flying in formation flying and things like that. But the P sixty three crashes into the B seventeen, kind of cut off the tail of the larger plane. Yeah. And I was reading about it, so whatever maneuver he was doing, he was kind of coming in at an angle where he wouldn't have been able to see below his nose. Yes, so he didn't even know as he was pulling up, he wouldn't have been able to see down, which is where he kind of he struck the just other plane. Yeah, broadsided this big mm-hmm. B seventeen, and and of course it was you know ninety, you know I mean not even it was like it was like a second, uh, and th- and then those two obviously both aircraft go down and and people just. What do you say not even if you look, witness something like don't that? Don't even think it's real at first. People were no. in such shock. You can tell in the videos. Like, yeah. yeah. I saw one of the videos, and, and you can hear this child's voice. He goes, is that supposed to happen? Mm-hmm. You sort of think of all these people witnessed that. And, and it's obviously a horrific tragedy. People take all kinds of things from these types of conversations. You know, should there be air shows? Should we be doing these types of things? Um, crashes at air shows are relatively rare. Mm-hmm. When it comes to public spectator events outdoors, air shows are obviously very popular. Uh, people get to get up close and personal with these aircraft and, and sort of see the, the the magnificence of them in person. And then and then when when something horrific happens like this, a complete accident, people start having those conversations. Um, I mean, the city of Dallas morning, and I think people around the world can understand just how how absolutely terrible that is, where something goes from 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 uh, marvelous and wonderful and exciting uh, to to just pure tragedy in a mm-hmm. split second. So um, it, it always sounds trite to say our thoughts are with the people in Dallas. Our thoughts are with these families, but but that is of course. Uh, the case. You can let us know your thoughts on that to talk at ryanjesperson.com. I've attended air shows. I love air shows. I think they're amazing. I think that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just so fascinated by aircraft and the talented people that design them and that engineer them and that fly them. And something like this happens and you realize how it impacts an entire community. Charles Adler is going to be joining us in uh, just under a half hour's time. And between now and then, we're really excited to be checking in with, well, quite frankly, she's, she's a rock star in, in the world of climate science. Dr. Catherine Hayhoe is going to be joining us in 60 seconds from now, live from Sharm el-Sheikh, where she is uh, she's speaking, she's moderating, she's guesting at COP27 at the UN Climate Change Conference. These conversations are presented by our sponsors, which includes the team at McBain Camera. They wanted to let you know, first of all, you can check out McBainCamera.com right now uh, to check out all of their hot deals. And now's the time of year where people are going to be looking for that perfect gift to place underneath the tree. Why not snap, print, and share fun photos instantly with Fujifilm's Instax Mini 11 camera. It's a one-touch selfie button. John, I know you'd love that, the selfie button. <laughs> and it's got automatic exposure, which means that you're going to take perfect selfies every single time. The Mini 11, what a great stocking stuffer. It's $99.99 right now at McBain with two packs of Instax Mini Film on sale for just $18.99. 24-hour delivery available within Edmonton as well as in-store pickup at all six locations. You can visit McBainCamera.com today to see a full list of Fujifilm Black Friday deals. And the instant prints the instant prints are so, so this cool. is huge right now 
like, and I didn't get it till someone explained to me this weekend. But kids, yeah, teens are really into Prince because they didn't grow up with them. You know how we grew up with Prince? It's like a, kind of that kind of vintage magic to it. It's a, got a retro thing to it. They're not used to it. Everything's on their phone. Everything's in their hands. So Prince are like this magical thing. You know what I see people doing it? Things like holiday parties, Christmas parties, mm-hmm. weddings, anniversary parties. They put cameras like this just out on tables. People can take photos and take the prints with them. Put them on the wall. Yeah. Why not buy five or six of these things at McBainCamera.com? That's our new ad read. Don't buy one, <laughs> buy six. Buy five, buy and then six. Dr. Catherine Hayhoe is going to come on and talk about sustainability and responsible <laughs> consumerism. And hey, it's a big week for our friends at Friesen Brothers. Why? Because on November 17th, just a few days from right now, Charlie, their sourdough starter, turns seven. That's right. It's Charlie's birthday. Uh, thanks to Charlie, their craft bakers create a huge variety of bakery products from bread and buns to all kinds of sweet treats. I'm always raving about their sourdough cinnamon buns. You can check out more about their sourdough starter, Charlie, at Friesen.com slash Charlie. And of course, they're giving away a bread gift basket full of bakery treats. You can enter online from November 12th through the 17th. They're going to pick a winner next week. There's one winner for every one of the 16 Friesen Brothers stores across the province. Friesen Brothers is Alberta grown and Alberta owned. Our lead guest this week is a legend uh, in the climate science community, an in-demand speaker, uh, the chief scientist for the Nature Conservancy, also a Paul Whitfield Horn Distinguished Professor and the Political Science Endowed Chair in Public Policy and Public Law in the Department of Poli-Sci at Texas Tech University. Dr. Catherine Hayhoe, also an associate in the Public Health Program of the Graduate School of Biomedical Sciences there and a principal investigator for the Department of Interior's South Central Climate Adaptation Science Center. She's the author of Saving Us, a climate scientist's case for hope and healing in a divided world. She joins us live from COP27 in Egypt this morning. Dr. Hayhoe, thank you so much for making time for us. We've been following you on Twitter through the conference to this point. It looks like every 10 minutes you're doing something else over there. That's pretty much the case, and I'm very sad that none of it involves sourdough bread because that sounded delicious. <laughs> are you are you big on baking or sour? Is that something you picked up during COVID like everybody else seems to have? Completely, and I still do it today. Oh, that's absolutely wonderful. Well, we have a ton of questions for you, and obviously I know the audience is going to be excited that you're joining us here on Real Talk. It's been a while since you and I have spoken. Uh, you've been talking about climate science for a long time. You've been talking about political policy. You've been talking about investment. I want to talk to you about some case studies in in jurisdictions around the world. But what's changed or how has the conversation changed at a conference like COP27 over the past couple of years? Well, I can tell you how it's changed. And that is the fact that the people having the conversation now represent every sector of society in the world. It used to be just the government negotiators who were there to govern, to negotiate um, treaties and agreements between national and federal governments. But now you've got mayors of cities. You've got heads of organization from the Rotary Club to the World Health Organization. You've got all kinds of universities, tribal and indigenous nations, every sector of society, including most of the world's largest businesses, all have representatives here having conversations about what we can do together, not just to tackle the climate crisis, but to plan for a better world for all of us. 
I had a, a conversation uh, just about a week ago with Zipporah Berman. Obviously, all you know who Zipporah is, and, and she's a, a passionate uh, activist in Canada. She's done a lot of work combating the oil and gas sector, and she, she described um, our home province of, of Alberta and, of course, the federal government as well. The government of Canada have both sent delegations to COP27, and those delegations include uh, representatives, senior executives from oil and gas. Um, I also spoke with the president of what's uh, a group called Pathways Alliance, which is a consortium of the of the six biggest oil sands producers uh, right here in Alberta. They're presenting at COP as well. They want to talk about a net zero future and their goals to get there. Do you believe, uh, Zipporah says to us, there's no way, she says these delegations are embarrassing, says there's no way there should be oil and gas executives at COP27. Do you believe that they should be part of the conversation? Well, Zipporah and I just met up this afternoon and oh, we were right? talking about this. Yes. So there is a long documented history. There's no doubt about this, that the fossil fuel industry and its lobbyists have significantly delayed, slowed, stonewalled and prevented action at these big international climate meetings. There's no question of that. But if there are organizations who truly want to change, it's not greenwashing, they actually have a plan to transition to a clean economy, then they should be welcome. But they have to show how they're different than what's been gone before. What have you seen uh, from, uh, have you seen industry? Have you, have you, I know you've been doing a ton of moderating and presenting, and I would imagine you're probably uh, taking some opportunities to, to just sit as an audience member or, or as, a, as a participant in some of these talks as well. Have you been hearing from industry reps and have you been hearing anything that, that quite frankly impresses you? Yeah, there are a number of organizations, Unilever, Ikea, Amazon, companies who we've all heard of who are here sharing what they're doing. And a lot of what those corporations are doing is significantly diff different and much advanced from what they were doing just a few years ago. So there is corporate action ha happening at scale. We just need more of it. And in order to have more of it, we need the leaders to lead. We need the right policies in place. And we need each of us to be using our voices to advocate for change as consumers, as people who use their products, where we invest our money, and even where we work, where we study, where we worship, where we play. Every single one of us is part of a circle bigger than ourselves. And when you see change happening at some of these companies, you know why it's happening? Mm. It's happening because somebody who worked there said, why don't we do this? That's mm. how it started. Is there, there's got to be a, a significant element of public demand or expectation as well, right? I mean, like I, I think of Amazon, for example, it's, it's, I mean, you know, I don't know whether, whether it's, it's literally the biggest company in the world, but it's sure up there with Apple and, and some of the others. Uh, what's going on with Amazon in particular? I'm putting you on the spot here, but, but what caught your eye or, or what impressed you, if anything, with what Amazon's doing? Sure. Well, for example, they are investing a huge amount of their money, which they have a lot of, in electric delivery vehicles. And what that means is they're going to bring down the price of those vehicles for everyone because once you're mass producing things, they get a lot cheaper. Not only that, but they're specifically looking for which cities have the worst air pollution. And because a lot of that air pollution comes from burning fossil fuels. In fact, Fossil fuel burning is responsible for air pollution that kills 10 million people per year prematurely. So Amazon is looking to identify, for example, neighborhoods that are most polluted, and that's where they would prioritize rolling out these electric vehicles. And that just makes a lot of sense for many reasons, including climate. In your opinion, does it have to make 
financial sense? Does it have to make bottom line sense for big corporations to take action on climate change? Have you seen a track record of that? There's no profit on a dead planet. Mm. So the bottom line is, if we don't fix this thing, human civilization as we know it, especially our supply chains and our economy, that is what is at risk. That's what's on the chopping block. So certainly I support win-win-win solutions. I always look for and bring up solutions like investing in nature and green infrastructure and climate smart farming to produce more food, to make our cities safer and to take up carbon too. But the bottom line is this, whoever we are, wherever we are, we're already being affected and that's why we need climate action for all of us. It is not about saving the planet. As the cover of my book shows, it is quite literally about saving us. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to in, in, in a couple of minutes. I want to ask you about hope and healing in a divided world. We, we spend so much time talking about that, not always in the context of climate change. Sometimes it's politics, sometimes it's public discourse, but but it's where we're at right now. Uh, I want to ask you about this this panel that you moderated just a couple of days ago, I think, as, as mentioned, um, on behalf of, of you and your team at the Nature Conservancy. You spoke with experts here from, uh, was it Grenada, Bangladesh, Arizona, and Kenya, uh, talking about actions that are already happening in, in those jurisdictions. Can can you take us into a couple of case studies that really made an impression on you? Oh, my goodness, yes. When you hear firsthand from people who are in frontline communities who are already being impacted by climate change, but also what they're doing to help make their people more resilient, how can you not support that type of climate action? And there's a photo of our panel right there. So for example, in the island of Grenada, the problem that they have is that their droughts are getting more intense, but so too are their heavy rainfall events. And when those heavy rains come up the mountain, they sweep a lot of nutrients and a lot of agricultural waste all the way down into the ocean where it affects fisheries. So they're having a um, mountain to coastline initiative to help promote sustainable regenerative farming uphill so that you don't have all that waste washing down the rivers, polluting the, the coastlines that the fishermen depend on for their fish. But there's only so much that we can do in terms of building adaptation and resilience if we don't cut our carbon emissions. We have three choices. We have to reduce our emissions, we have to adapt or prepare for the changes that are already here today, or the only third option is suffering. And we know that the faster we cut our carbon emissions, the better off we'll all be. I recommend uh, people subscribe if they're not already subscribed to, to your email, Talking Climate with Catherine Hayhoe. And you, you reference something that uh, if I know you at all, I know that you're going you're gonna to find some way for us to find some optimistic perspective on this. But, but I think a bit of a gut punch, right? You reference it mm -hmm. in your most recent email. This new study published Thursday in, in Nature Climate Change found that it's inevitable that the world will exceed a degree and a half uh, of global warming. And I know that, that, the, that the United Nations uh, and other groups have, have obviously stated that the goal of limiting warming to a degree and a half is extremely important. Now that we know that it's inevitable that that's going to be exceeded, it's going to change people's mindset, alter people's mindsets to a certain degree. How are you processing that? Well, that is exactly why last year I joined Nature United, as we call it in Canada, or the Nature Conservancy, as we call it in the other 79 countries that we work in around the world. <laughs> That's why I joined them as their chief scientist, because they work on nature, how we can work with nature to pull carbon out of the atmosphere where we have too much of it and put it back in our soils and our ecosystems where we want it. 
So the only way that we can meet one and a half degrees now is by massively investing in nature, as well as efficiency and clean energy, of course. Because our scientists at Nature United, we've calculated that 37% of our annual emissions could be pulled out of the atmosphere through investing in nature. Not only tree planting, that's probably the first thing we think of, but restoring, conserving, and stewarding our coastlines to protect us from storms, our grasslands to put carbon in the soil, our forests to provide habitat, and for Canada, our biggest potential is actually in agriculture. Climate smart agriculture offers the biggest way for us to draw down our carbon emissions, put them in the soil, benefit farmers, save money, and tackle climate change too. Does your history, uh, I mean, that's a weird word to call it, but you're a Canadian. You're a Canadian climate scientist. Yes. You obviously work down in Texas. You travel internationally. You speak. I mean, obviously, people follow you all around the world. Does, does, does being a Canadian or does your time spent growing up or the formative years in Canada, does that influence you in any particular way? Does a Canadian climate scientist view this a little bit differently than others might, do you think? Oh, I would say hugely. So for me, it's really important to be Canadian living in the States because in the States, climate change is such a partisan issue. And I've been really saddened by the fact that it's become one in Canada too the last decade. But a temperature, a thermometer, I should say, it's not blue or red or green or uh, orange. It tells you the same no number no matter how you vote. And a wildfire doesn't knock on the door of your house and say, excuse me, are you Democrat or Republican or are you liberal, conservative or NDP before it burns down your house? And so really recognizing that we're all part of this world and the fact that, you know, I'm from Toronto, I grew up in an incredible multicultural city. The world came to us in Toronto, but now on behalf of the world, we have to fix this thing because we have a reputation for welcoming the world to Canada. But even our great country is not enough to hold the refugees that unchecked climate change will bring. Are there there there've got to be I mean conversations over at COP twenty seven centering around politics and policy and international investment and how much of this do you believe I think that there there will there are cynics around mm -hmm. something like COP twenty seven I mean and and listen I I don't want to even characterize this real talk of this viewer that she's she's checking us out live on YouTube I'm not calling Erica a cynic because I think Erica makes a fair point even about COP twenty seven mm -hmm. she says I I read that there were over five uh, four hundred rather private jets that arrived for COP27 says, I get that these discussions are important, but like, couldn't they do online meetings or at the very least fly commercial? I mean, there are people that are cynical about the entire exercise. What would you say to Erica? Well, first of all, I'd say I'm with you, Erica. I flew easy jet to get here. There was no private jet involved in my transportation, but some we've calculated that all of the carbon emissions associated with COP, the travel, which actually a lot of people are offsetting. I offset myself. The travel plus all of the operations represent 0 0.0002, that's three zeros and then a two, percent of global emissions. So if the discussions here, and believe me, there are discussions happening all the time. There are thousands of people here who are only here because they want to change the world. And so these discussions are happening probably about 20 hours a day. Everyone talking as intensely as they can about what they could do together to make a difference. If those conversations lead to emission reductions that are any greater than 0.0002% of global emissions, it's a win. Hmm. And believe me, I have already heard of things that are doing far more than that. Let's talk about your book, uh, you know, Saving Us, the title, A Climate Scientist's Case for Hope and Healing in a Divided World. I've seen you on the record to say the best thing you can do to fight climate change is talk about it. 
but it seems like a lot of people just aren't talking anymore. At least they're not talking to anybody uh, with whom they may disagree. Mm-hmm. That's right. We aren't talking about it. And here's the thing. If we aren't talking about it, why would we care? And if we don't care, why would we ever ask the place we live, the place we work, the place we study, the place we go to church on Sunday, the organization we're part of, why would we ever ask them to make a difference? So I'm not talking about hitting people upside the head with science. As you know from my book, Ryan, only one chapter is even about the science. Right. It's, it's really about connecting what's in our head, what we know and why we're worried, to what's in our heart, why we care. I care because I'm a mom. I care because I'm from Canada. I care because I love snow. I care because I'm a Christian. Mm. Whoever you are, you have reasons to care. And we need to connect our head to our heart and talk about why we care, and then connect our heart to our hands and talk about what our another school is doing that our school could do too. Mm. What another organization is doing that ours could do too. What another city is doing that our city could do too. What another neighborhood is doing that our neighborhood could do too. We can have conversations when we walk our dog, when we go skiing together, when we're just hanging out waiting to pick the kids up from school. Having those conversations about the heart and the hands is what can truly change the world. You reference your your uh, your, your belief system, your framework. I mean, it, it would it would be your entire essence, right? As an evangelical Christian, it sort of in, it informs your perspective on virtually everything in life. That's the tradition under which I grew up as well. You and I have spoken about this several years ago. I know you've talked about it a million times, but but I'm always I, I know that there are new audience members, some that may be meeting you, so to speak, for the very first time right now. How, how does your perspective as an evangelical Christian inform? Uh, your work as a climate scientist and ultimately the big picture views that you have around planet Earth? Well, I was actually planning to be an astrophysicist when I was studying physics and astronomy at U of T. Hmm. And I needed an extra class to finish my degree. So there was a new class on climate change. I thought, well, that looks interesting. Why not take it? So I did. And that completely changed my perspective on this issue. Up until then, I knew that climate change was real. I learned about it in grade 10 geography class, but I figured it was an issue that environmentalists cared about and environmentalists would work on and they would eventually fix it. And the rest of us would wish them well and watch their documentaries is the way I thought about it. You know, David Suzuki's on it. He's got it. He'll take care of it. Sure. But when I took and certainly he's he's done his best, which is a lot. But what I learned in that class is that climate change is not only an environmental issue. It is a food issue, a water issue, a poverty issue, a health issue. And most of all, it affects the poorest people, whether it's people living on the street in Vancouver or Halifax or small subsistence farmers in sub-Saharan Africa. It affects them more than anyone else. And that is not fair. As a Christian, I believe that we are to be recognized by our love for others. That's literally the words of Jesus. And so I thought to myself, how can I express this love through not other than dedicating my life to do everything I can to fix this problem, because it is literally, again, not about saving the planet. It is about saving all of us humans and other living things that share this incredible home that we have with us. Do you think that to a certain degree, evangelical Christianity has lost the plot a little bit on that? I mean, I even I even look within my own friend circle and, and I'm, I'm painting with really broad strokes here, so this is kind of a dangerous exercise, but I, I think people will recognize people that know me. I have a great deal of respect for people's faith and value systems. I certainly love the people whom I'm speaking about right now. But in my circle, if I look at the loudest critics on climate action, if I look at the loudest critics on COVID measures, public health measures, masking, vaccines, 
it's my friends who are evangelical Christians. Mm -hmm. Do you see the same thing? I do. And I'm sorry to say that what we're seeing in Canada and what I see too is people following in the steps of those in the United States Mm -hmm. who lost their way a long time ago. There was a book written over 30 years ago by Mark Knoll called The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. And in it, he tracks how Christians since the 1800s systematically moved away from theology towards political ideology. Today in the United States, 40% of the people who call themselves evangelicals in the U.S., they don't even go to church. So where are they getting their beliefs from? It certainly isn't coming from their theology. Their statement of faith is written by their political ideology. And if the two come into conflict, they will go with their ideology over their theology. Now, there is plenty of climate denial in Canada as well. We see it in the UK. We see it in France. We see it beyond. But when you track down where it originated, nine times out of 10, you can actually find it came directly from a YouTube video of a preacher or pastor in the U.S. or a book that they read or something that came right from the U.S., Mm. where, again, a lot of people worship their political ideology more than they actually believe what the Bible says. Do you have anything in particular? I mean, obviously, we've just seen the the U.S. midterm election results for the most part. We've seen the results and and obviously some stuff still still being figured out. Anything uh, through your lens that you thought was particularly notable uh, the way that those midterms played out? Well, I would comment more on some initiatives that the current Biden administration is doing. For the first time, they are really taking the issue of climate justice seriously. The fact that it's under-resourced, lower socioeconomic communities that are suffering the brunt of the enhanced flooding, the deadly heat, the stronger hurricanes that are pounding the United States, and they're pounding Canada too. So finally, there's starting to be some recognition of the fact that Caring about climate change is really, as Jesus said, loving the least of these. Hmm. And if we are going to be living out what the Bible says, I'm convinced that we would be at the front of the line demanding climate action. And you know what? There's a lot of Christians right here at COP who are here because of their faith, including the heads of the World Evangelical Alliance, who I represent as climate ambassador, um, cardinals and bishops representing the Catholic Church, leaders in the Orthodox Church, as well as leaders from most other major world religions. They're all here because living out their faith demands climate action. Absolutely. We've got to let you go because your schedule is super tight. We're grateful you made time for us, Doctor. When we have someone, if I can say, of your caliber on this show, I always ask them to leave us with a charge, uh, to leave us with an assignment. And you've spoken about, uh, you you talk about doing an inventory of yourself, uh, that every person can find at least one reason uh, why they should care about climate change. Can, Can you give us an assignment to walk with this week? I love that. I definitely will. So, who are you? What do you love? Where do you love? Who do you love? For example, you might be a gardener. You might be a member of a rotary club. You might really enjoy hiking or birding. You might be a foodie or somebody who loves good wine or chocolate. You might like beach vacations or snow. You might be a parent or a grandparent, an aunt or an uncle. Whoever you are, you're the perfect person to care about climate change. And you're the perfect person to talk to other people who share that with you to share how because you might be an ant or a winter sports enthusiast or a gardener, this is why you care about climate change. And if they're the same, that makes them the perfect person to care to. 
Dr. Catherine Hayhoe, every single time I have a chance to chat with you, I consider it to be a great honor. I I encourage uh, the audience of this program to check out and order your new book. Buy it wherever you love to buy great books. Saving Us, a climate scientist's case for hope and healing in a divided world. Uh, Enjoy the rest of the time at COP27 if enjoy is the right word to use, and we'll continue to follow you online. Thank you, Ryan. You got it. Dr. Catherine Hayhoe, like brilliant, right? Not just a brilliant scientist, but the way she communicates. Amazing guest. Amazing guest. Incredible guest. And I know that this uh, podcast is going to be of great interest to a lot of people. If you liked what you just heard, uh, we're not shy. We're going to ask you to smash like. We're going to ask you to hit subscribe. We're going to ask you to share the content with anybody that Mm -hmm. you know would love to hear that. Uh, Tanya says, what a great guest with a wise perspective. Yeah, people Uh, very much agree. People often think religion and, you know, and science don't intersect. And, you know, evangelicals can, you know, you automatically think climate denier. Mm-hmm. But every everyone's worried about the planet right now. Every single person. Well, if you're not, most people. Well, if, if, if you're, you're not, not, what's wrong with you? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I and I get it. I and I understand that that's that's uh, sensitive ground to tread mm-hmm. uh, to start. You know, to to start suggesting. And I'm not suggesting that if that if you're a Bible believer that you do not believe in the science of climate change, or if you're mm-hmm. a, or if you're a, an evangelical Christian that that you don't care about your fellow human beings through the course of a pandemic. But it can tend. But I'm also not going to ignore what I see around me. I'm also not going to ignore uh, in my circle who, who the majority of people that were ignoring public health measures on things like, you know, limits on gatherings and that yeah. like I'm not going to ignore who they were and they can, hand hand. they can own that. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. That's a choice that they're making. I've just thought it was quite ironic. If you look at the bedrock upon which that faith is built mm-hmm. and I think that she laid it out quite uh, accurately and, and and with great intuition um, it, it, it the two perspectives are at odds with one another mm-hmm. the whole idea of love your neighbor the idea of the golden rule the idea of putting others before yourself uh, it appears to have been lost mm-hmm. uh, I want to talk about the return of uh, when Charles Adler joins us I want to talk about the you know the potential return of mask mandates officials in Ontario are talking about it yeah and other jurisdictions I mean classrooms Johnny are like half empty right now I know <laughs> you know, we, we I, I talk about hockey practice this weekend, like half the kids are gone mm-hmm. and it's not because they're on Christmas vacation. Uh, it's because they're sick. Mm-hmm. And we have the team chat right in this app and all the parents. Are, yeah, Johnny's got the sniffles. Susie's not feeling great. And so yeah. these respiratory illnesses, a big deal. So people are talking about the return of mask mandates. Well, people are flipping. Other people are flipping out over yeah. that. Right. Our freedoms. I mean, there's a there's a particular Canadian gold medal figure skater over the weekend. It's, you know, she's she's turned herself into a real piece of work. Jamie Soleil has. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, talking about how this is compromising our freedoms and how they'll never return to mandates. It's like, man, like thousands of people are getting sick again. <laughs> yeah. Like, at what point do we have to acknowledge the fact of the matter there? It's right? very stressful. A lot of anxiety on the planet. My wife says every day, she says the same line. The, the world's going to hell in a handbag. I said, mm-hmm. my grandparents used to say that all the time. Yeah. But no matter what God you believe in, you must believe that that deity, that entity, whoever's up there, is not happy with what we're doing to the paradise they created for yeah, us. I mean, sure. we're destroying it yeah, in Michael, more ways than one. I appreciate this from Michael who says, I really enjoyed that interview. It's good to see faith and climate change discussed together. That's not a very common thing to see happen. Michael, I agree with you. And uh, and we want to establish a reputation here on this show that if conversations like that are going to happen, uh, ones that can be a little bit uncomfortable at times, uh, that they're going to happen here, Right. And Erica followed up, by the way, and, and I, I wanted to be careful to say I'm not calling Erica, dismissing Erica as a cynic, because I think that it's a fair point 
to ask, does, do, you know, do so many private jets need to be flying into Egypt for this COD mm-hmm. conference? That's, if you look at, like, what is the, and, and, it's, and it's a fair criticism, you know, people will say, like, oh, Leonardo DiCaprio or, or James Cameron or Susan Sarandon or all these, you know, Leo gets it a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, all these people that are, you know, they're, they're so concerned about the planet. They're so concerned about global warning, warming. And then, you know, Leo's cruising Honey, around yeah. in a yacht the size of a shopping mall. You know, people they, wanna, they're on him about everything. But, smoking, you know, tobacco <laughs> Like dating 19 year olds yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so erica follows up and, and says i'm not cynical and and you know i know that erica says i'm not dismissive of climate change i just see so many flaws in the approach that we're talking or the approach that we're taking rather right now and that's fair that's absolutely fair you can let us know how this is, is landing with you. Uh, Kimberly, I love this comment, says, I think I've been jaded. I've become jaded uh, around religion uh, the last few years, and it's really good to see a Christian uh, speaking and acting like what I thought Christians were supposed to be like. I mean, Catherine Hayhoe, that's been one of the big things about her. If you, if you Google her, and I encourage you to do so, her writing is brilliant. Her advocacy has, has, has been, I mean, she's been talking about a lot of these issues before a lot of people were. Mm-hmm. And again, such a great communicator. I love talking to her. Um, but she's, she's been reconciling that publicly, talking to people about what it, you know, how you can have those parallel perspectives, how they can be congruous, right? How you can believe in, in the biblical description of earth and humankind and the roots, the origin of earth, the origin mm-hmm. of humankind, and at the same time care about science and believe the evidence. Yeah. You don't have to pick one or the other. I enjoy I enjoy the, the religious versus environmental versus debates because I get them all the time. I people, find it exhausting. People, because I'm, I'm plant-based or whatever, they'll be like, well, God told us to eat meat and gave us fish and all this. And I'm like... But have you heard of the Garden of Eden? Yeah, they only started eating meat after Eve ate the apple, right? When they were exiled, right? you know, Garden of Eden was a paradise. And he said, I give you all the green and living things to eat. And then we messed it up and we had to fend for ourselves. So yeah. I love having those debates. Yeah. 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 Oh, man, we could really get into this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is Adler here yet? He's here. <laughs> He's here. Well, I don't know. Maybe Chuck will want to get into this. I don't know. Um, Hawes says, as long as we continue to justify our personal carbon footprints, little progress will be made. I like that. Hawes calling us to the carpet. It's true. We always want somebody else to take action, right? We always want somebody else to do something about a problem. Not us. You know, why does my family have two V8s parked outside the house? Is it necessary? <laughs> well, we got a lot of things. We got a pole. We got kids. We got dogs. We got to drive snowboards and golf clubs around. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But, but like, do we? Do we? I've got a couple of friends. We got to get Tim Karengesser back on the show. He's a, I love Tim. He's, he's, uh, he's a journalist and, and um, a lot of his uh, work, his professional work and his personal perspective is, is based on car culture. Mm-hmm. He likes to see more robust public transit. He likes to see more walkable cities. He's, I mean, basically, I guess what I'm saying is he's a reasonable person. And, uh, <laughs> but Tim, but Tim's got great, like, Tim's always like, uh, yeah, we've got the whole family into this little hatchback that they rented from a car share and they made their way around and it was good all con- you, and, 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 and I sit there and I'm, I'm kind of like I'm happy because I'm like yeah it's good to see somebody doing something about that I <laughs> it would be very inconvenient for me to do that but I'm glad that people like Tim are here to save the planet but Haas is, is challenging all of us to do this and, and I love it I love it Haas says it's wants versus needs sure yeah that's a that's a blurred line though wants mm-hmm. versus needs for a lot of people isn't it mm-hmm. these conversations happen uh, with the support of sponsors like our friends at Athabasca University it's Canada's open university 
And there's no better time than right now to take that degree, maybe that master's program. Go to AthabascaU.ca for more information. If you've been thinking about going back to school, maybe this is the sign. You've been waiting for a sign. Here it is. Athabasca University is a great option for you, guaranteed. Well, how do we know that? Well, because they've got 35 online master's and doctorate programs. That's just one example. And the only commute you want to talk about, you know, maybe you don't need a car. Maybe you want to lessen your carbon footprint. Why, why not commute using your device, your tablet, your laptop, your phone? Athabasca is designed to fit your life. For ambitious people everywhere looking for more flexible approaches to higher education, Athabasca U is Canada's anyone, anywhere, anytime open university for advanced learning. You can find them directly online, athabascau.ca, or of course, under the Sponsors tab on our website. Hey, we spent a lot of time on this show talking about innovation. Nobody does it in Canada quite like Apex Automation. You want to see for yourself? Go online to apexautomation.ca. You can see what they're doing, even with regards to how is their quality superior? I mean, that's a bold claim, right? Well, they invest in labs in their office to test all software and hardware before it's deployed to client sites. That minimizes errors and it minimizes costly delays when they're on site. They also bring their clients to the office multiple days, sometimes weeks, to complete thorough testing and training of new projects before they install the new software and hardware on their sites. And they invested in building a shop. John, I had a chance to visit it for their team to stage hardware for things like robotics, electrical Mm -hmm. panels, so they can play and test with the equipment. As they're doing that engineering or development, they simulate real-world results. They showed me how they had automated a vehicle, this sort of like little mini train that's used in potash mining in Saskatchewan. They took it from mundane and somewhat dangerous work being done by humans to an automated process that is, of course, run by human beings. Mm -hmm. They're giving people back their time, and that includes the staff, the clients they work with, and their own team at Apex Automation. At local environmental services, uh, some people say it's only garbage. Not to them. They believe that communities deserve better. Better service, better prices, and more support for local causes. You can check out what they're doing in Alberta and Saskatchewan. In particular, Edmonton area, Whitecourtan area, Regina and area by visiting localenvironmental.ca. You can request a quote. See them fight for your business. And don't forget, every Friday right here on the show, Trash Talk is presented by Local Environmental Services. Your chance to rant. Send us an email today to talk at ryanjesperson.com. And this next interview with Charles Adler is presented by our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. This is a great week to check out the Signature Stack Burger Collection. John, just a couple of days ago, I checked out the Bacon Two Cheese Deluxe. That's the Signature Stacker. And then there's that Flamethrower Burger that everybody loves. You want a little spice? You want a little zing? Why not check out that beautiful, crispy jalapeno bacon, the Pepper Jack Cheese? My suggestion, they do have the the third pound double. Make it a three patty, <laughs> half pound, triple. That's the official recommendation from Real Talk when you visit the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. 
Well, it's a huge honor. We have every Monday to check in with the Emmy Award-winning talk radio legend. Uh, Don't believe us. Believe the RTDNA, who named this guy a Lifetime Achievement Award winner, a wonderful friend of this program, Charles Adler. It's Monday, Chuck, which means we get to say hello to you. How was your weekend? Well, my weekend was fine, except it's 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 being uh, ruined because I'm I'm trying to watch the weight as as I guess we all are. Oh yeah! And every time you do that Dairy Queen spot, <laughs> it just makes me howl like my dog. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, they're they're both they're both into it now because they know that you know Popper's here. Uh, loves everything on the DQ menu, unfortunately. Well, yeah, I think it was uh, – I used to attribute this to Nikki Six, uh, the great rock star, but I, I believe it was Oscar Wilde, as a matter of fact, ahead of him that said everything in moderation, including moderation. And so on the days where moderation is not your number one concern, that's when you can hit no. up the fall blizzard collection at Dairy Queen. Yeah. Uh, oh, my – did you say blizzard, please? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Talk I'm so- about my – Sorry, not sorry. Weakness. Yeah. By the way, I've got a I've got a, a Canadian kind of ethical uh, dilemma. Of course, we're into the finals, and, and we got the Great Cup happening in just a, a few days in, in Saskatchewan. Your bombers, and I'm awfully and I'm awfully sorry that uh, you know the, the Flames, the Flames, <laughs> the, the, the Stampeders, the Elks, the yeah, Peters, yeah. the Oilers. It all you know, uh, you know, when you've had too many blizzards, it all just kind of <laughs> swims in the same school, as it were. But anyway, it's, it's unfortunate that you know the Alberta football teams are, are not participating in the. The Grey Cup, uh, you know, I grew up, there, there was always, generally it was Edmonton. There, there, was, there was always a, a team from Alberta in the, in the West, in the, in the Grey Cup. Uh, and, of course, the Western final was often two Alberta teams. So it just, that, that part seems a little odd. But that's not my ethical issue. My ethical issue is what happens when I'm watching a so-called important game and um, I just know that if I just hit that magic little box called a clicker, I can watch an important NFL game, especially when I know that the Buffalo Bills and the Minnesota Vikings are having just the most interesting of shootouts with with all sorts of scoring, but all sorts of defense and all sorts of big mistakes. Like, Ryan, have you ever seen a fumble on a quarterback sneak in the end zone? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know what? I mean, what you 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 got everybody excited that you were here talking about the CFL and Grey Cup, and then you did what everybody else seems to be doing. And I mean, no disrespect, <laughs> but that is simply pointing out that maybe you're you're, you're losing interest in the Canadian game a little bit. <laughs> I know. I I'm sorry. <laughs> Many Canadian apologies. Just that you know, there are there are days where the NFL is so compelling. And this particular game with the the Vikes and the Bills, I have never seen a finish. A finish, of course, it's in the NFL lasts for several minutes, but several minutes of just the most incredible plays. I mean, I you know I don't want to do the cliche about how you know they, they were both winners and all of that. There's only one winner, and the Vikings won the game eventually uh, in overtime, and only because uh, you know one of the great quarterbacks, uh, Josh Allen, for the Buffalo Bills. Through an interception, and he's been he's been throwing too many of those, especially in the, in the red zone, which is just kind of amazing. Anyway, I, I will leave it alone. I just wanted to ask you the fundamental question. Well, we've got to when get we're you- into when we're into the finals of the so-called most important games, and of course the Great Cup. Is it okay for a few minutes yeah, to switch to the 
National Football League. Oh, buddy, so, I mean, okay? people's, people's attention spans these days with so many <sighs> options around. This is why we let real talkers know how much we appreciate their value. I say to people yeah. all the time, I love saying it to people's faces when they come up and say hi. I say there's nothing you can give us that means more than your time. Yeah. And time invested is such a huge thing. If you if you were, I didn't know we were going to talk football, but but we can talk football a little bit. It's, it's Canada, um, you know. Yeah, I mean, I just, no, my thing is like, my thing is like, I'm just, I've got lots of respect for the game I just can't like if yeah. you right now offered me a million dollars to name 10 NFL players I couldn't do it so that's yeah. I'm just that's my cards on the table yeah. I could name Here, here's the good news NHLers. here's the good news my brother yeah you don't have a million dollars to give me I'm not I'm not going to offer you <laughs> <laughs> who's that good news that's a good news I only for me. offer I only offer a million when it comes to helping an animal charity but okay. that's a whole that's a whole different uh, ball game as it were look everybody these days is is just wondering about attention spans. And I just want to say one one thing to your, your sponsors. Every sponsor, of course, I don't care whether you're sponsoring a TV, radio, podcast, whatever. Uh, you're always uh, worried about uh, people, you know, clicking off and, and, and going somewhere else. Yeah. And when Ryan Jesperson is doing a commercial, honest to God, sometimes the commercials, and I'm not knocking the content of the show, but sometimes the best content on the show is, is the commercials, not just because of the product, not just because of the, the, the content of, of, of what it is that you're talking about specifically with respect, but the enthusiasm that you offer. And so it's absolutely clear that you don't just put sponsors on because they help pay the bills. You put sponsors on because you really want them to succeed. Mm-hmm. And, and I want them to succeed. I'm not just talking about Dairy Queen. I'm talking about all of them. And I just want to say this to, to the sponsors. As somebody who's uh, been to more than a few rodeos over the years, um, many sponsors want to get their money's worth. With Ryan Jesperson, you never have to worry about that mm. because nobody, nobody is more enthusiastic about helping you achieve your objectives, your business goals, than my son, Ryan. And uh, on the graves of my grandparents, I did not pay Charles to say that. We did oh, not plan on talking about this. It's a sincere comment, and I appreciate it. Let me ask you about the CFL real quick, and then we'll move on. Uh, sure. If, if you were, and, and, and you can't ignore this, it's it's been an issue for franchises across the country, except for maybe the Riders and maybe the Bombers. But, I mean, back-to-back Grey Cups also doesn't hurt if you're Winnipeg. But the game has been dying on the vine a little bit and and they've been yeah. taking steps they're trying to make it more family friendly i see it in edmonton making tickets free for kids under 12 and having student nights and bringing back alumni and they're trying everything they try to fantasy pool people are trying to you know increase betting options on the cfl but but what would you do to save the game i've seen some people suggest that the cfl may have missed a boat by not affiliating with the nfl when opportunities have presented in past others would insist that would be a terrible mistake for the canadian brand what would you, where would you start to, to, to see another generation of interest surge in Canada's football game? I hate to you know offer what will appear like a knee-jerk, progressive, politically correct answer. For so many years, uh, I made fun of that crowd. <laughs> so so I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want to pretend that that's the, the girl that I brought to the dance. But I'm just looking at basic marketing. And I want, once again, whether it's radio, TV, um, in this case, uh, football. In central and eastern Canada, the CFL has done a piss-poor job of becoming more diverse. And so their major competitor there isn't the NFL. Major competitor there is soccer. And I just don't think they do enough uh, to uh, promote diversity. I don't think they do enough to uh, affiliate themselves with with schools, elementary schools, middle schools, high schools. And uh, basically, anybody's love of a particular game 
uh, begins when they're very, very young, generally when they're seven, eight, nine, ten. If you don't get them when they're young, and in this case, if you don't get them when they're young and diverse, which is what the majority is uh, beginning to be in some of the cities in central and eastern Canada, if you if you don't go after the, the so-called diverse crowd, and one day we'll stop using the word, they're just Canadians like everybody else, obviously. Yeah. But I'm just saying that in, in, in some someday I'm, I'm dreaming that um, we won't have to do all of this hyphenization to, to make the point. I think that the CFL is missing the boat in central and eastern Canada, specifically in the greater Toronto area. Uh, there are not enough young people excited about football. That is tomorrow's generation. Obviously, uh, if they're not excited about it by the time they're 12, 13, 14, 15, um, say goodnight. Yeah, and fair. so the CFL has got a crisis on its hands. Fair. We've got uh, we've got audience members here that are, that are chiming in on this. I'm not surprised. DK says, Uncle Chuck, why choose? Just record them all on PVR and watch them one at a time. Uh, I, I love this one. Who, who says, uh, who, where was this? Daniel says, football. I was watching Formula One. Uh, there you go. Yeah. I know so many Good more people. You, they, boy, has F1 done an amazing job of marketing itself through these series on, was it on Netflix, John, I think it was, that, that Formula One series, Drive to Survive? Yeah. Man, is that ever good marketing. Unbelievable. And how about this from Justin? I love this. We talk about having uncomfortable conversations. We talking about the world of sports as a metaphor for other things. Justin says, speaking of sports, I'm having a hard time deciding whether I can support FIFA and, and Qatar, Qatar, d- d- during the World Cup this year, knowing the forced labor that was used to make those stadiums and the corruptness of the organization itself. People seem to say this stuff about the Olympics as well. I mean, there, there's kind of the, the, the human rights implications. You look at some of the host yeah. countries, Russia, China, uh, but yet people continue to show up. Is that something that's ever on your radar when choosing what you'll watch or what you'll support? Yeah. Here, here's my problem. Uh, when I do a deep dive into who makes the clothes that I wear, uh, how the food was prepared, the, the, you know, where the, where the food came from and how the animals uh, we're, we're treated when I go into every single aspect, you know, uh, the, the, the leather in, in my vehicle. I mean, there is almost nothing that I interact with uh, that hasn't been the product of some sort of abuse. And I don't mean to be overly negative about this. And I'm not suggesting that people don't do deep dives into to where things come from and, and how things really are. I'm simply saying that if you overthink Everything you do and everything you interact with, you are going to think of yourself as just a goddamn ugly, exploitive human piece of trash. And while um, all of these things matter, I just don't want uh, people to, to lose sight of the fact that there is an aspect of humanity uh, which uh, clearly has made great contributions uh, to this planet and to humanity itself and even to animals. And so while all of these things need to be taken seriously, the idea if I just sit out FIFA, I'm being a wonderful human being because of aspects of, 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 of what the of what world soccer is about and what FIFA is about. I think I'm, I'm making a big mistake. It's very, very easy to get hooked on self-righteousness. And I guess this would be one way to do it, sit out FIFA. But uh, I think it's a great game. Chuck, you get, go pick up the dogs and bring him in. Bring him in. It's hey, fine. Then, yeah, then they'll chill out. Hey, Johnny, I, th- I think his dog disagrees with his animal. His opinion. dog disagrees with his <laughs> I, I started animal. Talking, I started. Well, this is what happens, you know. Uh, unfortunately, I have a well, two, but one in particular, very, very smart dog. Oh, that's, uh, that's Odell right there. Odell. And, uh, she's the one that uh, is a bit sensitive to my conversation. What breed is Odell? 
Odell is a Beaver, and it's spelled B-I-E-W-E-R. That's B-I-E-W-E-R. Terrier. She's a toy terrier. She's she's not even she's not even five pounds when she's wet. It doesn't matter though. Terriers don't mess around. Like their <laughs> origins, I mean, they differ by breeds, but terriers are like fierce rat hunters back in the day, right? Like <laughs> they, they do are. not mess around they, they at are. all. And to be to be brutally honest about that, uh, there is a chinchilla uh, next door. I'm not talking about the neighbors. I'm talking about like behind a particular door, right where Odell is. And every time the chinchilla makes a sound, um, Odell, the uh, the rat killer, as it were, uh, starts. To <laughs> Do you? It's is not it, just we is it your chinchilla? Just, yes, yes. I have it. I have two two uh, terriers and a chinchilla. Is that is that okay? Does that also violate some I just, kind of political norm? No, I, I keep learned some, from people who used to listen to the radio show. I learned something new yours. about you every day. Well, they're, they're always telling me these people who listen to the radio show. People don't understand that uh, you know radio is so much theater of the mind, and uh, so many impressions that you make might be wrong. You just kind of assume that. You know the guy you're riding shotgun with in your your truck or your car, whatever. Yeah, uh, is exactly like you, and I'm not exactly like anybody else. I mean, I love you, Ryan. I love your family, but I'm not. You're, I'm not. I'm not like every member of your family. There's aspects of me that are a little different, and that's the way it goes. You know, this this is sometimes of being a Canadian. Sometimes people say, "How can that person call himself a Canadian?" What kind of a ridiculous, kind of a ridiculous question is that? Yeah. You, you know, you're entitled to have all sorts of ideas, and you're entitled to have various tastes. And you can still be Canadian. That's what, to me, that's what Canada's about. Uh, Canada's about this, uh, well, to me, the greatest country in the world where it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter whether you worship or what you worship or whatever, who you who you worship. As long as you pay attention to certain basic rules, like here, here comes the plug, public health rules. Oh, geez. You know, as long as you pay attention to certain rules, as far as I'm concerned, you're welcome well, by the way, this conversation about public go. health, whether it's in Alberta or elsewhere, yeah. is getting worse. And the contempt the two sides have, and I will confess, okay, that I am developing uh, a, a, a contempt for the other side because, like a lot of people, I just say to myself, how much evidence do you need? And how, when the hell will you stop reading the Alex Jones script? But um, it, it is getting worse, and as I say, one of the reasons it's getting worse is because the two sides are becoming less and less tolerant of the other's position. Yeah, um, I. so I, I want to, before we get into this, and this is what you and I wanted to talk about today, I want to let people know that, that, you, know, uh, that you know there's a, a content warning here and that we're going to be discussing, um, to a certain degree, sexual assault, and I know that for a lot of people it would be troubling, and, and I saw evidence of that over the weekend. Uh, when, uh, you know, former darling, you know, Canada's gold medal champion, Jamie Soleil, the figure skater, uh, essentially, Johnny, can we call up these two tweets that she sent out this weekend? Uh, number one, you know, she says, starts talking about Remembrance Day, which which obviously was going to piss a lot of people off. And and I've seen it described as, as uh, you know, mocking veterans or the sacrifice of veterans. But Jamie Soleil over the weekend, if you start complying again with masks and segregation papers, <laughs> then you've already forgotten Remembrance Day, says the gold medalist. Those who fought and died for your freedom would be hanging their head in shame. Uh, I've got I've got a lot to say about this, but she says they didn't fight a war for you to bend a knee to the government and be a slave. Um, so 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 her comment on people that headed halfway around the world to face artillery and try to avoid landmines uh, to to benefit other people, to save other people, to preserve the freedom of other people. She's now got a hot take on it. And then here's the tweet I'm talking about, and this is 
what Charles really pissed people off. Uh, Jamie Slate tweeting over the weekend. There's a word for sticking something in someone using coercion, threats or bribery. Vaccine coercion is medical rape. Uh, obviously, people are furious about this one. Um, I used to consider Jamie Slay a friend. I've spoken with her many times. Uh, she's obviously completely lost the plot. Uh, now, people are saying, and people are going to be critical. I guarantee that we're even talking about this. They're going to be critical that I've amplified her tweets. They're going to be critical that we're not just blocking her and moving on. Uh, Jamie Slay used to be beloved. She was one of those popular athletes in Canadian history her and david pelche uh, denied the gold medal everybody remembers and then awarded the gold medal when the corruption of the judges was exposed how are you wrapping your mind around this and what's the proper way to address it jamie you need a dog i mean you you need you need uh, you need some entity that will give you unconditional love i don't mean to play psychiatrist or psychologist but there, there, there there's something that you're missing and uh, when you start uh, comparing the needs that our world have with respect to public health. Uh, when you uh, want to accuse people who are scientists and, and doctors and nurses of uh, engaging in some sort of sexual violence, uh, something, something is troubling you. As I said, I'm not a psychiatrist. I just know that you, you really should get some help and the help is not available on Twitter. Uh, Twitter is not a clinic. John, you, I, I feel like you got something to say here. I, I just, want... it just, we're just overlooking. Like speaking for the dead is bad enough. Like, yeah, I mean, like, like, it's just seems ridiculous. And on Remembrance Day, yeah. Like, and I, and I just, I just... And, and and the idea of like comparing vaccine mandates or comparing masking to to sexual assault to rape is just like, at, at, like at what point in the quiet of your? She she tweeted the other day, and 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 I I pay attention to it because I can't help myself, and because I've known her personally. But I but like you know talking about how like her friends have abandoned her and everybody's this and it's like at what point in the quiet moments when you're by yourself are are you not like uh, are are you not questioning the wisdom or just the absolute lack of humanity I mean like talk to one sexual assault survivor talk to just one about the 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 almost permanent impact of that violation and then to invoke that in some way. To, to try to get likes or to try to attract people to your new event with Theo Fleury. Like, what are, they, are these now like Canada's new scientists, Jamie Soleil and Theo Fleury? Like, what the hell is going on right now? I just, I just, I, I don't know. And I don't really actually, Charles, have a hot take on it. I'm just, I well, just, I, I feel like I'm is, watching Ryan, a slow burn. It's like a tire yeah. fire. But it, sometimes when you're, when you're listening to someone's feelings, you actually have to pay attention to the stuff that seems uh, less sexy as it were, uh, um, the, the, the business about how her friends have abandoned her, to me, that's the most interesting aspect of what, what she's uh, tweeting, because that's the fundamental problem here. Um, you know, she had what we'll call normal friends, okay? And you were one of them. And uh, every one of these people who ends up heading into sort of the extreme corral goes through this. You, you end up losing your normal friends. And of course, the friends that you start to make, whether they're in the virtual world or the real world, are twisted and uh, they're troubled people and they're twisted and I, on a very human level I feel sorry for them but here's the problem it's no different than skating if you replace your sharpened skates with dull skates you will not win a single medal mm. no matter how talented you are and replacing your normal friends Jamie with these other guys 
is not making you feel better, clearly is not making you feel better, for you to tweet what you tweeted on Remembrance Day, uh, it, it's not just about dishonoring the people who sacrificed for us and the reason we have a democracy in the first place, the reason we can have shows like this. Um, you're disgracing yourself in doing it. But those words, my friends have abandoned me. I'd ask everybody who right now is living in a world where too much of what they're doing is connecting virtually and very little is connecting them authentically. Mm. I'd ask them to think about that because in many ways that's a much larger issue than Jamie just being offensive on Remembrance Day, in my opinion. Uh, I want to ask you this before we let you go. Um, the, the head of Toronto's Hospital for Sick Kids, Dr. Ronald Cohen, uh, Sick Kids Hospital, he's the CEO there, um, spoke with CP24 on Saturday uh, and basically said that he's in favor of bringing back mandatory masking to alleviate pressure on pediatric hospitals across the province. Alberta is is without a doubt uh, experiencing a huge impact from these respiratory infections, these respiratory illnesses. Um, you know, Edmonton's public school board, as an example, just last week, Charles uh, noted that they saw almost 15,000 cases, absences uh, from classrooms representing uh, about 13, 14% of the population there in classrooms. And, and those numbers are only rising. Uh, people across the country are starting to debate uh, in coffee shops and online and then, of course, in boardrooms, it'll happen as well, whether or not it's time to bring back mandatory masking uh, in time for, obviously, a very busy holiday season. Now, we can rely on people's uh, empathy and common sense and ask people to mask up themselves when they're going out. Uh, anecdotally, I, I'm seeing more masks anecdotally uh, in grocery stores and shopping centers and, and out and about. Even an Uber I was in over the weekend, the driver was was masking. Uh, it's not mandatory, but but that was his choice. Do you think that it's time to for, for provinces or jurisdictions, in some cases municipalities, to start looking at mandatory masking again? Where do you see this story going over the next few weeks? I don't think we need an opinion poll on this. I think all we need is a weather forecast, and uh, depending on where you live in the country. Uh, when things get colder, uh, things get uh, hotter in intensive care. It's clear that uh, the weather is getting colder everywhere in the country right now. Uh, we're talking about uh, you know Christmas being just around the corner. If you can't understand after all these, what seems like all these years, but certainly if you can't understand after a couple of years of all of these public health reminders that uh, COVID is a much bigger deal in the winter than the summer, then you haven't been paying attention. But just in case you haven't been paying attention, because it's getting colder, wearing a mask, especially inside a mall, inside a, a grocery store, is a darn good idea. Hmm. Uh, I, I like this comment, uh, this question from Lauren, and I actually had this had a conversation with my friend Kyle, who's a, a an ardent Real Talk supporter, and he, he, he told me, he asserted that he believes I've been dropping the ball. Um, he goes, I don't know why you haven't had Jamie Soleil and Theron Fleury on the show yet to talk about this, and I went, and I kind of looked at him and went, man, where is that conversation going to go? And he was like, what's the point of Real Talk? Like, what's the whole point? Like, if you're not having them on, uh, who are you going to have on, right? And, uh, and I just thought, I don't know if the conversation is going to go off the rails. I don't know if facts and evidence even resonates with certain people and if that's the case then I don't even know what the point of the conversations are he goes you'd get a million downloads I thought well okay maybe like on the selfish side maybe uh Lauren wonders would, would Ryan have her on would I have Jamie Soleil on the show um I think I probably would. Um, I don't know if she'd come on the show, uh, Chuck. If you were if you were doing a, a daily, uh, if you were doing a talk show, w w would you have Jamie Slay or Theron Flurry on the show? No, I, I think that uh, they, as I as I said, I think they need help, and, and help is not uh, more attention. The, the more attention business 
is part of why they've, they've got a problem. I mean, this is, this is now what they've decided to do uh, that will get them the kind of attention, even though it won't, that, that they had uh, when, when they were um, competing for this wonderful country. Um, and I don't think you're helping Jamie, and I don't think you're helping Theo. And I, I've never known Jamie, but I did consider Theo a good friend. Uh, he called himself my big brother, and I called him my little brother. Uh, so it troubles me a great deal. But do, do I think that it would be helpful uh, to Theo Fleury or Jamie to, to have, have them on the show? No. I, I think if, if fewer people had them on their shows, if, um, if fewer platforms were available to them, I honestly think they would step out into the fresh air, meet some of their real friends or make some new real friends and have real talk. And, and once a person, you know, lives at least some of their life in reality, they have a capacity for real talk. Until they do that, all they're doing is regurgitating nonsense talk. That's not the name of the show. So if you want to keep the show real, uh, you, you got to steer clear of that. And the only reason you would do that is, as the person said, you'd get a million downloads. Well, if Ryan Jesperson becomes uh, the kind of communicator that will do absolutely anything uh, just to get downloads, I'm out. Yeah. Well, that's not a trade I'm going to make. It's good to see your face again. Shout out to Odell for keeping it chill for the last 15 minutes. <laughs> what a beautiful, beautiful pop. Chuck, we'll talk yes. to you again in a week. <laughs> All right. Oh, no, wait. Jamie, get a dog. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. All right. That's Charles Adler. Give him a follow on Twitter with, I don't know, 65,000 other people yeah. at Charles Adler. What do you think about that? I don't know, like the whole thing. I see Colette on our live chat. It's always great to have Colette tuning in. She says, don't give them a platform. They're irrelevant. Um, I, I guess I can get what, what Colette's getting at respectfully. I've, I, it, mm-hmm. I, it super annoys me, but people use this word platforming. Yeah. Um, you know, I understand like if, if, if you're like, there's some random guy on the street whose heart is full of hate and he believes that the people from a certain ethnic group aren't equal to the rest and nobody's heard of this guy. And then I bring him on the show to talk about it. That is providing someone a platform. Jamie Soleil has a platform. Mm-hmm. Theron Fleury has a platform. Everybody knows who they are. It's like people said that when I had Danielle Smith on, I was platforming her. She's the premier of Alberta. A little different. We're not platforming the premier of Alberta. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. we're up for robust conversations. I mean, Jamie Soleil, Theron Fleury, they, do, they are out in public. They are talking to people. They are finding community. Yeah. So I don't think that if you ignore Theron Fleury that he goes away. He mm-hmm. doesn't. And and so I'm, I have I have conflicting feel I have mixed feelings about this. I, I tend to agree with you too that like it wouldn't it wouldn't be a constructive conversation. It would be a lot of misleading facts, things like that. Like I have a friend online who, you know, he he's posting about myocarditis from the vaccine and things yeah. like that. And I want to get into it with him, but I know it's 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 just going to be futile. It's just not going to lead anywhere. Yeah. I mean, the vaccine stuff is the stuff that pisses me off the most because, you know, my mom, 40 years almost, she worked in health. She was the head health nurse at Durham College in Ontario, uh, the youngest one actually to ever get the job. And I just really. Yeah. yeah. Wow. We should t- we should have her on to talk. One 100%. Day. She spent her whole career giving Everything from HPV shots to B12 to obviously vaccinating people with flu shots. And one of her biggest things was she would always take them first. She would never give a vaccine to someone. She, I mean, she took the bird flu vaccine. She took all these things. I was like, Mom, you don't need them. She's like, I would never give someone something that I hadn't experienced myself. Sure. And try to tell them what they should or shouldn't do. But It's like why police officers have to get tased and pepper sprayed. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. But like, let's just, even someone like me who isn't a scientist, it doesn't find, like, I don't think I'm very intelligent. Like my mom tells me about vaccine stuff and I don't know what she's talking about, but 5.4 billion people on the planet, almost 70% of us have had the first dose. 60% of us have had three. If you gave that many people a vaccine and the amount of things that have happened, adverse effects are so small. Yeah. If you gave that many people a peanut, more people would have a reaction. A glass of milk, more people would have a reaction. Yeah. It's just the, the numbers are there and I see what Theo and Jamie say and I just don't think, I just think you would get into a shouting match with them and yeah, it, it wouldn't go anywhere good. But yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 of many minds on this. Uh, you know, I mean, I I think that some some you know, there's compelling television and there's compelling interviews that happen when when things do turn into a a a, a vigorous and robust debate. Mm -hmm. uh, but shouting matches, I don't know. Um, I appreciate this comment from from Kimberly, who says the only way I would give him a platform or welcome him to the show is if there were experts to counter their perspective. Which mm -hmm. Kimberly it takes like a back. round table might make oh, sense because you would have someone to reel but, them in but, but then you wouldn't but then they you know I, I mean and here and let me also say I'm, I'm sitting here speaking on behalf of people I don't mean to be I, I don't have the authority to speak on behalf of any of these people that we're talking about they have their own perspectives obviously but there was this uh there there was this there is this personality in our hometown of Edmonton this guy that's sort of become this Instagram uh, sensation to a certain degree and he describes himself as a mental wellness or no a mental wealth coach oh, I know uh, exactly. you know who I'm talking about right <laughs> don't heard, say the name there's no free advertising I on don't this show. want to but I've listened to him on podcasts because I feel like okay what's the deal with this right? guy I want to hear what he has to say and when I listen to him I feel like his perspective comes from a lot of his upbringing things he's been yeah, through but he's not an expert but you that's can't the take, point you can't take a straight one lane on facts and science because you experienced life a different way so i say people. to this guy like you know i don't know it's like a year and a half ago or whatever during his rise to stardom and a lot of people were really critical and 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 remain really critical about a lot of the things he was saying and like, i saw people asking you to have him on yeah for sure i mean demanding that i have him on he was demanding that i have him on he started tagging me in his videos like jesperson won't have me on his show i'm like number one who the fuck do you think you are you know we had we just had the <laughs> prime minister on like have a seat uh and, and number two Number two, you are welcome to come on. I talked to him on the phone. I said, you're welcome to come on. But I said, here's how we're going to do it. It was going to be a round table. I told him I used the names. I said, it's going to be you. It's going to be Professor Timothy Caulfield from the University of Alberta, Faculty of Health Law and Public Policy. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be Dr. Shazma Mathani. And, and we'll have a robust conversation and you can talk about how you believe that physical fitness and eating vegetables will keep you safe from COVID. Mm -hmm. And then we'll let the experts chime in. And he, he says, I don't, he says, I don't agree to that. I said, why not? And he says, well, cause they're just going to use a bunch of facts and evidence. <laughs> Actual quote. Yeah. So I said, well, yes, they are going to use a bunch mm -hmm. of facts and evidence. Mm -hmm. Yes, they are. And he wouldn't do the show. And so, so there you go. Lauren, meantime, though, circles back. Lauren, who asked 10 minutes ago if we'd have Jamie Soleil on, he says she's real and they walk among us. This is not about sensationalism for ratings, but more about achieving an understanding. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would, I would love to talk to, and maybe that conversation will happen in private sometime if our paths cross at the grocery store. I mean, you always, you know, you know you're going to run into people at some point. I know. And I would love to That's ask the, the question part. of just like, and, and it's kind of a, it's a sincere question, but it, it's, it's, it implies judgment. I'll be mm -hmm. honest, but I just want to ask like, what happened? 
Like, where did this all go sideways for you? This was, but but you have to understand, like, people like Jamie or Theo don't believe that they've gone sideways. They believe that we're the ones that are drinking the Kool-Aid, right? We're the ones that are, you know, participating in and supporting this globalist agenda led by the, the you know, the, the World Economic Forum. And like they, they, people mm-hmm. tell them big words and they start to believe it. And then they believe that we are the problem. And I think people just get ingrained in their perspective. Like even me as being in the DJ community, I have a lot of these people who were out of work during the pandemic. And that pushed them to this side of the misleading facts about COVID and why they were out of work and stuff like that. And I get that because I was one of the people, too, who was out of work with DJing and stuff like that. Me too, man. Public event host. Everybody. I mean, mean, that's the reason this podcast started. But like we've just gone so far from that. And I just I don't understand why people let their perspective turn their minds upside down. It's. Yeah, it's it's scary. And now we're in this place where all those people have platforms. I don't think you need to give them (laughs) any more of a megaphone there. Yeah. Tony says, Tony says this. It would be like a Jerry Springer episode. (laughs) She said, Tony says, sorry, RJ, but they would not offer any real discussion. It would be a clown show. Yeah, probably. Mm. I mean, everybody knows who Jerry Springer is, though. Is that the road we're going to take this thing? I hope not. We did 500 and what? 515 episodes or so of legit talk, and mm-hmm. then we just decided to pursue downloads. Yeah. Yeah. I no. mean, what happens next time? Like, just like just throwing that out there. If the next virus or whatever, like, what if it just, like, kills kids or something? You know what I mean? You're not going to be screaming for a vaccine. You're not going to tell people to hurry up and make you know, an antidote. Like, I just don't understand the people who say it was too fast. They didn't test it enough. Well, like none of those, I don't talking buy about at all. All of these people that they don't, they, 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 they rushed the vaccine and it happened too fast. Excuse me, sir. Science or ma'am. has come so far. No. And like, <laughs> where, show me your PhD. First of all, before we even start talking, I want to know your background. I want, I want you to explain to me your robust understanding of the history of vaccine development over the past hundred years it's why we're here people have no idea they have no idea it's why we live to be 99 years old now it's literally why (laughs) the median age is not 48 anymore yeah yeah uh hey listen this the whole point of this uh the whole point of this show the whole reason why we gather the whole reason why you're here giving us your time uh, the whole reason why why john and i uh, work hard on this is to debate and have conversations about this type of thing and i'll tell you man my heart is full right now just by hashing this out just by working this out you can let us know what you think i'm sure that there are some people out there that you know some people are gonna are gonna get on to this i mean i you know what i can't even what i can't even imagine is what would our twitter man look like after that round table can you imagine <laughs> what our twitter mentions would look like but if you want to call us out if you want to take the piss uh, you can send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com we also look for of course your personal stories and suggestions on other guests that you'd love to hear on the show uh, we, we try to recognize uh, as often as possible when a guest has been booked due to an audience member's suggestion um 
There was actually a lot of people when we had Sabora Berman on the show that said, you know who we'd love to have on the show over at COP27 is Dr. Catherine Hayhoe. And I was thrilled to let people know we already had the ask in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if there's somebody else, a voice you'd love to hear on here, maybe it's uh, someone from the scientific community. Maybe it's uh, someone who, maybe it's a, a leader in the community or maybe a business leader that's inspired you with their perspective. Uh, maybe it's an unsung hero that, quite frankly, nobody's ever heard of before, but they're doing big things. You know where to find us. Talk at ryanjesperson.com. Shauna. Shauna painting a very vivid picture with her words. Says, having those two on the show would be like coughing in our faces without covering your mouth. <laughs> As you said. <laughs> Woohoo! I tell you, I can't wait for positive reflections As today to said, watch this all the yeah, way. <laughs> Shauna says they have a platform. They don't need yours. All right. Okay. So it's settled for now. Now you can send us an email or you can of course hit us up on our hashtag real talk RJ that is powered by the family owned business that is Park Power your friendly local utilities provider. You already paying more probably than you were last month I would guess on so electricity and natural gas depending on how your home is heated but the days are getting shorter. The nights are getting longer. The temperatures are dropping. It means that we're probably going to be spending a little bit more, right? That's just a fact. So why not look for ways to save 10 bucks here, 20 bucks there, 100 bucks here? You never know what your rates would look like with Park Power until you compare them to what you're paying right now. The good news is, is it takes like two minutes to go to parkpower.ca. I remember when I brought my business over to Park Power, it took, I'm serious, less than five minutes from start to finish at parkpower.ca. I used the promo code myself. I used our promo code. Why wouldn't I? 2022-RealTalk to save $70 off our first bill. You can check out their frequently asked questions and learn why Park Power by visiting their website today. At Eden Landscaping, that team, of course, is getting ready for a busy winter. You go, what, landscapers busy in the winter? Heck yeah. That's when they're pulling permits. That's when they're drawing up designs. The landscaping blueprints, consulting with some of those niche experts, like who does the best water feature? What's the best forno oven to install in your spanking brand new outdoor kitchen bringing outdoor spaces to life takes time it takes design brilliance that's why you don't want to rush the process get in touch with mike and his team today get the ball rolling at landscapeedmonton.ca if your winter is going to involve travel why not do it as safely as possible seems like a no-brainer right but still we know there are going to be people out there that are still rolling on summer tires people that don't have the reliability of four-wheel drive nobody does four-wheel drive like jeep the grand cherokee north america's most awarded suv in history you won't find a better selection than you will at sherwood and st albert dodge also check out the 2022 dodge durango and of course the wildly popular ram 1500 pickup that's what i'm driving and i love it you can shop them online or in person let them know that real talk sent you you know, I, we, we wrap uh, the first show of every week with uh, positive reflections. This is something that's that's providing us a sense of optimism or that's filling our bucket, so to speak. And it's presented by our friends at Kubi Energy. And I, But I thought about rolling hot into it right after the Catherine Hayhoe interview earlier mm-hmm. this show, because this is a great news story about protecting our watershed. Presented, as always, by our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. You can get your free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca. Scientists say that the humble beaver, yes, the humble beaver could hold the key to saving our water. 
Yeah, this is new research that's discovered that dam building skills actually protect rivers threatened by climate change. This is so cool. The research was uh, conducted on rivers in Colorado, and it found that these animals' wooden barriers, these dams, raise water levels upstream. You'll say, well, tell us something we don't know. Well, what happens is as the water is built up, it's diverted into surrounding soils and secondary waterways known as riparian zones. We hear about these all the time, right? In the context of off-roading, people say, stay out of the rivers and streams. You're ruining the riparian zones. Well, beavers are building them back out. And as water enters the soil, the soil acts like a filter straining out excess nutrients and contaminants before the water re-enters the main channel downstream. And so while extreme weather events like rapid snowmelt or severe storms are impacting water quality in major river systems, not in a good way, as droughts and floods are becoming more frequent, well, it's also contributing to a resurgence of the beaver, the beaver population. That means an explosion in dam building as well Uh, says professor scott fendorf of stanford university you might have heard of it as we're getting drier and warmer in mountain watersheds that leads to water quality degradation however the influence of beaver activity on water quality is a positive counter to climate change how great is this the study is showing that the dams are increasing nitrogen removal by nearly 50 percent increasing the pressure of the water flow upstream 10 times over the decrease in nitrates is increasing oxygen content and quality for aquatic life so you're saying nature knows what it's doing hot damn john (laughs) that's exactly what i'm saying so the next time you see a beaver dam the next time you see those telltale signs of beaver activity the nod down stumps or if you're lucky enough to see one of these magnificent animals in their natural habitats say thank you for helping save our watersheds who knew (laughs) you can send us your positive reflection anytime by sending us a quick email and of course you can check out kubienergy.ca for more on how going solar could be less expensive and more beneficial than you think. Coming up later on this week, we're going to be talking about those respiratory infections and illnesses with experts who know what they're talking about. And circle your calendars for four days from now. The Real Talk Roundtable presented by Urban Timber will tee up International Men's Day. We're going to talk to three fellas who are making big impacts in their communities on some of the issues that matter most. Thanks for making Real Talk part of your Monday. We'll see you tomorrow. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Derlego, Human Resources Lena Shepherd, Website Design Mike Johnston, Voiceover by me. Harry Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.